Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Romans chapter 6. That's where we'll be uh, going over today. Paul in this letter to the Romans, the Roman church, first begins the beginning of the letter. I talked about and made the case for the fact that we are lost without God, right? And then God presented, had a plan for saving us, a rescue plan. And from that salvation, we find that and from chapter 5, we find that we have freedom from God's wrath, which is such a blessing, if nothing else, what a blessing that is. But it's even more. We also, in chapter 6, we have a freedom from sin. We were saved. We, were, we were, became a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. It's interesting um, I don't know about you, but in, in, I've been in the past to, to, tempted to make light of sin, not to get seriously, because after all, God will just forgive me. The devil uses that a lot. Oh, you can go ahead and do that. You, know, you, got, you can ask forgiveness later. But Paul makes a case here, for, and we're going to go over it step by step, makes a case on why that's not the best way to go. Chapter 6, verse 1, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace can multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Notice Paul said, absolutely not, because God not only forgives us, but delivers us from sinning. We can't, I, we can't still live in it. And that brings us to, so Paul here in, in, uh, in making his case regarding this idea that we are free to just continue on sinning after God has saved us. Paul makes, we're going to divide it up into ma eight major points. And so point number one here, we died to sin. So justification was not intended as a license to sin, but as a liberation from sin. As C.H. Spurden aptly put it, the unchanged life is the mark of an unchanged heart, and an unchanged heart is a sign of an unregenerate life. You see, when you're saved, something significant 
has occurred, something significant has, in, has, cha- has changed inside us. Before we were saved, we, we chased after sin. Now that we are saved, sin chases after us, trying to entice us back to the old life. Verse 3, or are you unaware of that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Baptized into Christ. Those who, who think they are free from sin don't actually know what the baptism actually means, what it signifies. When someone is baptized, they're they're signifying their union with Christ in both his death and his resurrection. You become, it's an outward symbol of what has happened inside. The old has gone away. There is something new. The old life and the new life. One commentator mentioned that our baptism really is is a sort of funeral. For that old life, it's gone, it's dead, it's buried. And our new life as Christ has begun in resurrection. Baptized into Christ. And that bring, into his death, and that brings us to point number two. We were united with Christ in his death. Verse four, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. This new way of life. We're going to talk more about that new way of life. It's different. It's different than anything else before you were saved. Verse 5, For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Which brings us to point number 3. Having shared in his death, God wants us to share in Christ's resurrection, which starts now. We're not just talking about the resurrection day. Yes, but something inside us, God brought to life. It resurrected. And nothing is ever the same. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished. abolished. So we no longer be enslaved to sin. We know that our old self, the old life, the life before we, we surrendered our life to Christ and confessed our sin and claimed Christ as Lord... Before that happened, before we were saved, that old life, that old way of living, we know 
We were saved. Our, our old life was crucified with Jesus. That sin's dominion of the body may be abolished or deprived of power. Sin no longer has power over us. So that we don't want to be slaves to sin. I would just struggle when I was younger. And, and I remember as a teenager, I, I heard this old man testify. And he talked about when he was younger, he would, he would climb into bed at night. And after living a, a day, a wicked life of a day, and, and he would just start to cry. And he'd say, God, just make me a good boy. And I remember thinking, yep. I mean, I didn't exactly say those exact words, but I knew, I knew where he was coming from. That inward battle, that frustration. I want to do what's right, and it's a constant battle. And later on, we're going to see Paul talk about that struggle, that internal struggle. But God has has given us a way out. No longer slaves to sin. Verse 7, since uh, a person who has died is freed from sin's claim, right, the, the, the law, the sin, by law, sin had a claim on us, and, and once we died to sin, no longer claim, just like, you know, married till death do you part, no longer claim. You're going to sue somebody and they die. I'm not a law expert. I don't know if you can sue somebody in the state or not, but I would guess it's pretty much over. You no longer have a claim. They were talking about they might have found a serial, figured out who a serial killer was. But he had died like four years ago. So the law no longer has a claim on him. They can't do anything to him. He's already dead. Same thing here. This, same, this legal concept. And this brings us to our fourth point. Our former self was crucified so we are free from sin's slavery. We have crucified our sinful nature with all of us desires so that every day we renew this attitude by taking up our cross and following Christ to crucifixion. The first is a legal death, a death to the penalty of sin. The second is a moral death, a death to the power of sin. The first belongs to the past. It's unique and unrepeatable. It's this, this one time, this one moment. The second belongs to the present and is repeatable and conti uh, continuous. I died to sin in Christ once, but I die to self like Christ every day. I mean, every day we wake up and when 
and we say we follow Christ in saying, Not my will, but thine be done. In verse 8, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Amen. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Every believer now shares in the internal life in Christ. Our life in Christ is without end. Because death no longer has dominion over Christ. And, and because I'm in Him and risen with Him, death no longer has dominion over me. And these benefits, these glorious benefits are, are in our sure possession because of our union with Christ. <clears throat> for in light of the fact, verse 10, for in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all, but in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. That brings us to point number five. Jesus died once for all, but lives continuously for God. And we do the same. We follow his example. Imagine this elderly believer, we'll call him John Jones, who's looking back in his long life. It's divided by his conversion into his two halves, the old self, John before conversion, and the new self, John after his conversion. These are not his two natures, but two consecutive lives. By, by faith and baptism, John was united to Christ. His old self died with Christ to sin, its penalty born and finished at the same time. John rose again with Christ, a new man, a new life, Unto God. And John Jones is every believer. We are John Jones if we're one with Christ. We died with Christ. And we've risen with Christ. Our old life is terminated with the, with the judicial death it deserved. Our new life began with the resurrection. Verse 11, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Brings us to point number six. Like Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God. <clears throat> we are not to pretend our old nature... We're not to pretend, we're talking about being dead in sin, we're not to pretend our old nature has died when we know perfectly well it hasn't. Instead, we're to realize and remember that our former self did die. We, and, and, and by so doing, we put an end to the career of that sinful nature. 
Sorry, I have so many. This is quite a chapter. And lots of notes. And I, I try to organize everything to where I can quickly go from point to point. But sometimes I momentarily lose my place. So we're good. I love this chapter. It's such an exciting, powerful truth that God provides to us. But we're going back to verse 11. I want to point out that when we were saved, our relationship with sin was broken. And now we have an unbroken relationship with Christ. Can a married woman live as though she were still single? I suppose she could. But let her remember who she is. Let her remember her vows. And she will want to live accordingly. Can a born again Christian live as though they were still in their sins? Well, yes, I suppose they could. It's not impossible. But let them remember who they are. Let them recall their baptism the symbol of their new life and union with Christ, and they will want to live accordingly. I think a lot of our troubles as Christians, we we forget our way. We lose our way. We forget where we were to begin with. We forget where we are. We forget who exactly we're supposed to be pleasing. Forget a lot of stuff. It's a memory issue, maybe. If we could just remind it. If God could just remind all those who who at one point had surrendered to God and and our pews have memories of many who have knelt down and surrendered Him in tears and and, in dedication. (coughs) If the Holy Spirit could just bring that to mind. Remember, like the prodigal son sitting there in in the pig pen thinking, man, I had it better at one time. What was I thinking? Oh, if they could only wake up and say, what was I thinking? And realize their need for Jesus. And call out to him, Lord, I need you, I've been a fool. Verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Now the word therefore, we always want to find out what it's there for, right? Therefore, 
really could be interpreted as because of all I have said, and now I'm going to, I'm going to, what I'm going to say next is a result of everything that I have just said. So what point is he trying to make? So therefore, making this case of the freedom we have in, uh, from sin in Christ. So therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That word, reign, sin, and uh, I'm going I'm to jump over to verse 13 too. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Notice he says both, let, do not let sin reign in your body, nor don't, do not offer any parts. What is that? They're reigning, we've seen it. It's those who completely give up. They give up trying to be a Christian. They, they, they turn away from God. They, they don't want to think about God. They, don't want to, they haven't opened their Bible up for months. They haven't been in church in a long time. They don't want to listen to Christian music. They don't want to think about God at all. They, they just surrender to sin. We call those apostates. Deep down, they know the truth, but it's, it's hidden. The story of, the, the story of uh, Rosaria Butterfield, she was uh, a high-tenured professor at a university, very well-paid, had a wonderful, uh, flourishing career, and she began to think about God. Now, the problem was, she was a, a, a practicing lesbian and very active in the gay rights movement. And she was very comfortable with the thoughts that were coming across her mind. But she couldn't help herself. And she began looking in God's word and began studying some things. And she, she shared that with some of her friends, just a very few, and that she was looking and and some of them were very concerned about it. But there was one friend of hers, a trans woman, who secretly by night brought her some books on Christianity and the Bible. See, this friend of hers was at one time a pastor. He had turned away from God, gone to his completeness lifestyle, but a small part of him knew the truth. A small part of him wanted her to succeed. So it happens. This is a reality of the Christian life. This has been a reality of the Christian life from the very beginning because Paul warns, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't give up. Don't be an apostate. But he also warns this too. Don't offer any parts of it. What is that? This is where you have 
you haven't completely given up on God, but you've let it, you have a few pet sins. They're cute. They don't bother anybody. You don't think they do. They're secret. You don't let anybody know about them. Keep them closed up. This is what we call hypocrites. God warns us about that. Don't let that happen even, he says. But as those lifely did offer yourselves to God in all parts of your, all parts of yourselves to God, we dedicate all of ourselves to God for righteousness. <clears throat> Which brings us to point number seven: being alive from death, we must offer our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. <clears throat> Verse 14, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. And this is interesting here. Uh, we're not under the law, and that's good because you know what? The law does not free us from sin. Doesn't do that at all. But grace does. And to be under grace, we acknowledge our dependence on the work of Christ for salvation. That's what it means to be under grace. We acknowledge that our dependence on the work of Christ for salvation. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer writes that it is disheartening to those who care and surely a great grief to the Spirit to see how many Christians are content to settle for less than the best. Personally, I have for years carried a, a burden of sorrow as I have moved among evangelical Christians who somewhere in their past have managed to strike a, a base compromise in their hearts' holier longings and have settled down to a lukewarm, mediocre kind of Christianity utterly unworthy of themselves and of the Lord they claim to serve. And such are found everywhere. Every man is as close to God as he wants to be, and he's as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. Yet we must distinguish wanting from wishing. By want, I mean wholehearted desire. Certainly there are many who wish they were holy or victorious or joyful, but are not willing to meet God's conditions to obtain. And I've seen that a lot. I see him on the streets here, and I meet him once in a while. I say, oh, yeah, Pastor Dale, it's good to see you. I should go back to church. I haven't been to church in a long time, or I haven't prayed in a long time. I need to pray. They have a wish, but they're not willing to meet God's conditions to obtain. Victory is not me overcoming my flesh, Victory is Jesus overcoming me. We don't do it on our own. And when it comes to sin, don't excuse it, refuse it. But when you do this, don't look at it, uh, to a set of rules telling you what you can't do, but instead look to Jesus 
getting into his word and surrendering to his spirit, and he will work out Christ's righteousness in and through you. Grace is wonderful, and it's wonderful that God uses grace to save us, to give us what we don't deserve, but in so doing, it lays upon us the responsibility of holiness. This is William Tyndale's thought in his prologue to Romans. He wrote, Remember that Christ made not this atonement that thou should shouldst anger God again, neither died he for thy sins, that thou shouldst still live in them, neither cleansed he thee that thou shouldst return as a swine unto old the old puddle again, but that thou shouldst be a new creature and live a new life after the will of God and not of the flesh. We turn away from that old life. In this new life, we find joy, peace, contentment, no matter our circumstances. Years ago, when I was at God's Bible School, I was 18 years old, and I had dedicated my life to God and 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 just enjoying being in a relationship with God. And and one night, I I injured myself pretty badly. I ended up with a compound fracture in my ankle and dislocated foot. And I was in a little bit of pain, as you might imagine. Also cut an artery, so I was bleeding pretty good. And so they took me to the hospital, and and I'm in the x-ray, and, and they have to move my foot around to, to do different things, get different shots. And, of course, that causes a lot of pain. And in, in during the while... I mentioned to the young lady that's doing the x-rays that I'm a Christian. And she said, I wondered about that. Your attitude has been so different. Why? Is it me? No. Being close with God provides us joy no matter what our circumstances are. Verse 15, actually, that that brings us to number 8. Sin shall not be our master. We are no longer under the law, but under grace. And grace not only discourages sin, it outlaws it. So Paul says in, in, in 15, what then? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Once again, he says, absolutely not. I'm getting a little over, so I'm going to wrap this up. Verse 16, don't you know if you offer yourselves as someone as obedient servants, you're servants of that one you obey. Either sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that though you used to be servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to and having been liberated from sin, became enslaved to righteousness. Verse 19. 
I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you offer the parts of yourselves as slaves to moral impurity and the greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as service to righteousness, which results in sanctification. Now, what did Paul mean by, I'm using a human analogy, your different translations might say it a little bit differently. But that's really nothing more than just a common phrase used among Greeks to really say, I'm going to speak plainly now. I'm going to give it to you straight. That's all he's saying. You offer the parts of yourselves as service to moral impurity and greater and greater lawlessness. Not lawlessness is not being regulated or constrained or controlled by law. One time we were that way. Now we're expected to offer ourselves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. Verse 20, For when you were servants of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you're now ashamed of? I don't know about you, but I have a lot. A lot of things I'm ashamed of from my past. For the end of those things is death, but now since you've been liberated from sin and have become uh, uh, enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the end is eternal life. And in one of my favorite verses, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Driving here today made me think about it because gas is 323. I, I, that's wrong. I was thinking of for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hopefully it won't be 623. Let's hope not. For the wages of sin is gift, but the gift of God is gift. And the problem I think we have is we forget who we belong to. I'm going to close with this. When you remember our, our identity in Christ, I think that'll help. As a young Christian, for years, I would get up every morning, my morning devotions, I would repeat these statements, all based in Scripture. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 I have forgiveness from the penalty of sin because Christ died for me. Romans 5.8 I have freedom from the power of sin because I died with Christ. 
Colossians 2.11. I have fulfillment for this day because Christ lives in me. Philippians 1.20 and 21. By faith I will allow Christ to manifest his life through me. 2 Corinthians 2.14 It's good to remember, to remind ourselves who we belong to. Let us pray. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.